Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Welcome back to our number two, today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this football Friday here in the uh, city of Tucson, and it's uh, 8.02 on your Tucson Friday. And whether you're tuning in on the AM side at 1490, on the FM side at 104.9, or if you're listening via the live stream, which can be found on ESPNTucson.com or via your Alexa-enabled device, I appreciate you tuning in here to the Jeff Dean Show. I know you have uh, options and choices to make where you spend your time and your ears listening for sports news, entertainment, opinions, yada, yada. And I appreciate you tuning in here to the Jeff Dean Show as we try to keep it live, local, and uh, somewhat lighthearted, hit heavy every now and then. But uh, very opinionated, obviously. That's kind of what I've staked my career on. And uh, we just uh, try to try to get you through your day, try to keep you informed on some things and open your eyes to some things. And if you're keeping an open mind on stuff, that's even better. That's uh, That always helps. It's so- something that I learned over many, many, many years of training myself to open my mind and my eyes to uh, to other things. It takes time to do it, and you have to commit to do it, and hopefully you're on the road to that as well. All right, so NFL news and notes. Listen, I, I, you know, I won't spend a whole lot of time on the Arizona Cardinals here because I want to talk about the draft and some things that are, that are coming up next Thursday and then some things that I think are going to happen. Um, Steve Kime says – general manager of the Arizona Cardinals, said that there is, quote, zero chance that they trade Kyler Murray. Now, Ian Rappaport had reported this yesterday, tweeted it out, basically saying that Steve Keim uh, says there's zero chance of trading Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray tweeted it or, you know, responded, commented on it with just the 100 emoji, right? That's not a new emoji like, you know, I was talking about earlier, but the 100 emoji means, like, absolutely stamp approval, 100%, this is correct, okay. Right, Kyler also later tweeted out, quote, I want to win Super Bowls with the Cardinals. So it appears that maybe the two sides have, I don't want to say reached an agreement, but they've decided to not air their grievances in the media. They're going to try to make nice right now for the time being, which is good. Look, that's good for the, good for the Cardinals. And I know that a lot of people uh, have kind of climbed on you know, Patrick Peterson for his comments and Chase Edmonds for his comments. The Cardinals, you know, for their part, and I you know, I slammed Steve Kime earlier in the week when I was talking with Tyler Drake about his choices on draft day, but there's, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that he's done a good job in assessing current NFL talent and bringing them onto the Arizona Cardinals. He's been able to get some good players and go target these guys to put around Kyler Murray, whether it be like bringing in Rodney Hudson, who was one of the best centers in the league, and Rodney did a fine job for the Cardinals. And, and there were moments, uh, a lot of moments in games last year where he was their best offensive lineman, period, uh, at the center position. So they've done that. They 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 brought in Zach Ertz, a really talented and proven tight end, and they re-signed him this offseason. So that's huge. They make the, the obvious trade for DeAndre Hopkins. I'm not going to give credit to Steve Kime for that. That was, you know, Bill O'Brien calling up the Arizona Cardinals and being like, hey, what do you want to give me for, for DeAndre Hopkins? You got like a third-round pick or something you can give me? <laughs> Is this a joke? Really? Is this really Bill O'Brien? <laughs> 
I mean, every GM on planet Earth would have made that deal. So not going to give him too much credit for that. But nonetheless, DeAndre Hopkins is here. Brings in A.J. Green at 33 years old, who, in my opinion, was more detrimental to the team last year than he was a a, a pro. But nonetheless, they re-signed him and gave Kyler another target. They drafted Rondell Moore in the second round from Purdue, a very talented slot receiver. And look, they, look they've done things to put Kyler in a position to where not only he's protected, but also give him targets to throw the football to. I still think that the uh, the, the consistent, um, you know, this this Cliff Kingsbury offense of getting the ball to players behind the line of scrimmage consistent, consistently is a, is a real problem in the NFL because uh, while speed does kill in at the collegiate level, everyone's got speed at the NFL level. We saw, I mean, you know, and we, we saw in the offseason, um, you know, there was – we saw uh, the the, uh, the linebacker from the – why can't I think of his name right now? His name literally just jumped right out of my – right out of my head, and I can't – I can't rein it back in. Um, anyway, we saw a linebacker outrun Tyreek Hill, the wide receiver, in a foot race. Like, you know, no pads or anything. Micah Parsons, thank you. In thanking my own head for having that jump into my mind there. Micah Parsons, linebacker of the Dallas Cowboys, beat Tyreek Hill in a foot race, in a 40-yard dash. So you can't rely on, you know, just get a, get a, a ball to a fast guy in, in the in, in the backfield, and he'll, you know, make plays happen because they're a wide receiver, they're, they're linebackers running four fours now. So don't count on that anymore. And you can't continue to just throw three-yard hitch, hitch routes uh, in the NFL, expected to be successful, you have to challenge the defense vertically. You have to, you have to give your quarterback time. You have to give your wide receivers time to get open down the field, to run complex routes, and to use the field, use their their tutelage, use their schooling, use their uh, their study time in you know the film room to break down whether it be uh, a zone defense, a zone scheme. Or to beat their man with a you know with with a, a complex route, so you know I think it's more have been like you know the Cardinals the problems have been more about the offense Cliff Kingsbury than it has been Kyler Murray. I still would not have drafted Kyler Murray if I were if I were the GM of the Arizona Cardinals. I would not have drafted Kyler Murray number one overall. I probably wouldn't have drafted him you know number ten overall if I was the GM in that position. I just I don't. Uh, my philosophy, okay. I just that's just not mine. I'm not, a, and I'm not an NFL GM. I'm far from it. I just don't like small players at the quarterback position who have to rely on their athleticism to to get them to where they need to be, as opposed to actually being an accurate an accurate thrower of the football. And I'm not saying that Kyler Murray is inaccurate, but it's easy to be accurate when you're throwing the football three yards down the field, 27 times a game. It's you know you take a couple of deep shots. Oh, okay, we missed those, but we're gonna you know keep keep that completion percentage up with those eighty percent completion passes. Uh, yeah, it's just it's not gonna work. You got you got to open up the offense at some point. And maybe they don't have the guys. Maybe DeAndre Hopkins was nagged by that hamstring all year long and just couldn't run the complex routes or use his speed to get off. And maybe Rondell Moore. You know, rookie receivers rarely come into the league and take the league by storm the way that Jamar Chase did and the way, uh, you know, that Justin Jefferson did a couple of years ago. Not everybody's able to do that. It's a very difficult position for rookies to grasp and excel at in their rookie or even their sophomore seasons. It usually takes some time for receivers to 
get up to that level in the NFL. So you know, the Arizona Cardinals, not sure what they're going to do. They're, they're sitting at 23 right in the draft. Um, they, I think they could use – really, I'm being honest, I think they, there's, a, there's a couple of areas of need. They need secondary help. They need another guy op- opposite – uh, of of their number one to uh, you know at the corner position that's obvious, especially in this day and age in the league. They also could use some help at offensive line. They could obviously use another pass catcher if you know AJ Green is going to continue to do boneheaded things in the offense. And depending on what DeAndre Hopkins is doing, he, he may get hurt again. They need another guy. They also need an edge rusher. Now, it's not the NFL. It it, it it rapidly changed. Like, literally within the last two years, we've seen this kind of um, uh, evolution on the defensive line. It's no longer enough to have one dominant edge rusher. You need to have two now. I mean, you look at the, you look at the deals that were done in free agency, trades that were made. You look at guys that were signed in free agency last year and or draft picks that were made. It's been to give teams a duo of pass rushers, okay? The Raiders go out and, and they get Chandler Jones away from the Arizona Cardinals. He, you know, the Cardinals said goodbye, and they signed Chandler Jones to a big-money deal, even though they just had a breakout season from Max Crosby, was one of the best edge rushers in the entire league last year. But now they have two. They have Crosby and Jones because – over there in La La Land in Los Angeles, the Chargers, who have had Joey Bosa, who's a, a you know an effective. I don't think he's as good as his brother Nick in San Francisco, but nonetheless, Joey Bosa, very good edge rusher. They go out, they sign Khalil Mack. Bears players right now are already saying they miss him. <laughs> like <laughs> they've already they're already upset that he's not there anymore. And Raiders fans may never forgive Mike Mayock for giving up on Khalil Mack, but Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack making up the duo for the Chargers. The aforementioned Nick Bosa. The 49ers also have Eric Armstead, an elite edge rusher there on the other side. In Pittsburgh, you've got Cam Hayward and T.J. Watt. In Tennessee, two guys that are not as well-known, but ridiculously good, and if you watch them play, uh, they're in the backfield a lot, oftentimes together. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons, who's a, a he's a beast. He's a monster. That guy is... Uh, he, he's... He's a scary good player. Uh, and on the other side, Harold Landry, who's a really good edge rusher. So it's not enough to just have one top-tier edge rusher. You now have to have two of them, <laughs> okay, which is why I think that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to go and get Aiden Hutchinson with the number one pick in the draft, not only because he's the safest pick in the draft. And when I say safest, I don't mean that he's got a low ceiling but a, a high floor. Aiden Hutchinson is – everything you want in a football player. He's a guy that has worked his tail off, has grown up being a a football fan, and loves the game of football. His father played at Michigan. His brother will likely play at Michigan. His mom was a big-time athlete. Obviously, he didn't play football at Michigan. She's a a big-time athlete, okay? That's a football family, a a sports family, an athletic family. And Aiden Hutchinson is a hardworking, passionate player. And you just have you, you, you have to notice those kinds of guys. And when you get production out of those guys, Aiden Hutchinson had 14 sacks last year for Michigan, which in the college game, that's, that's a lot, okay? That's a lot of sacks in the college game. 
they already have Josh Allen, who has played really, really well. Last year was a great season for Josh Allen, and I thought he was even uh, he was better than he was in his in the previous year, which was a great breakout year for him as well. Josh Allen's a very good edge rusher, and I, I think Jacksonville is going to be doing the right thing by taking another edge rusher. That brings me to the Detroit Lions. In my opinion, they're one of the two teams who are linchpins in the first round of the, of this entire draft. I don't care who the Houston Texans take. I, I don't really care who the New York Jets take unless they trade the number four pick to the 49ers, which is going to change everything if that happens. Okay. I think the two teams of the linchpins in this, in this draft are the Detroit Lions and a surprise team, the Green Bay Packers. Brian Gutekunst, their general manager, has traded up in three of his four drafts that he's been managing as GM of the Packers. He's, tra- he's traded up at some point in the draft. He did so two years ago when they went and got uh, – they trade up. Uh, but when they when they moved into the first round to get uh, to get the um, – oh, my gosh, my brain is just not working today <laughs> – the backup quarterback, oh, Jordan Love. Jordan Love. Uh, they moved up to get Jordan Love and didn't tell Aaron, Aaron Rodgers about it. But I think the Green Bay Packers, sitting there right now without a wide receiver, without a, without a considerable threat at wide receiver, we'll put it that way, a, a true number one, after losing half of their receiving core in the offseason and the best receiver in the NFL. Do they move up? somewhere into the high high part of the first round. Do they do they trade with the Falcons? Do they trade with the Seahawks? Although I don't think the Seahawks are looking to move off that nine spot. They're just going to be drafting the best player available. They're doing a, a complete roster rebuild. Do they move into the top ten to get the top wide receiver in the draft? And if that's the case, okay, and the reason this is a linchpin moment for them, let's say – Let's just say they, they trade with, I don't know, they trade with the Panthers. Let's say the, the Panthers aren't sold on Malik Willis. They're going to make the trade for, for Baker Mayfield, and they're going to go into this offseason with a competition between Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold to be the starter. Whoever loses will be the backup, and they'll just get, have a third guy in the practice squad. They don't need to draft a quarterback if they don't fully buy into what he's doing. Let's say the Packers offer them a deal. The Packers move up into the sixth position. Packers are going to draft wide receiver there, right? I mean, they're, they're going to take – their best pick at wide receiver, whether it's Garrett Wilson, whether it's Drake London, whoever they think is the best wide receiver in this draft is going to get picked there. Now, the reason this is a linchpin moment is because there is potential for seven wide receivers to be taken in the first round. If a team like the Packers jumps up all of those spots, right, they're currently sitting at 22. If they jump up 15 spots, 16 spots, sorry, to the number six position, bad math there, then that starts the deluge of teams trying to climb over one another to get wide receivers because a wide receiver wasn't supposed to be taken until eight when the Falcons were going to take Garrett Wilson. So now the Falcons are like, okay, Hopefully nobody trades above us with the Giants to get a wide receiver. And maybe a team that's down below, maybe a team like like the Commanders, who are potentially going to lose Terry McLaurin. 
maybe a team like the Baltimore Ravens. Maybe they want to go out and get another wide receiver. We know the Eagles want to get a wide receiver, and they got a ton of picks. Maybe they start trying to climb up over there and try to trade with the New York Giants to move out of the seven position to get ahead of the Falcons at eight. Like, that could start everything. That could start the avalanche, which is why I think that either – the Lions are the linchpin because you never know what the Lions are going to do, right? In, in any given draft, you never know what that franchise is going to do with their pick. It's always a crapshoot. I don't even know if they know half the time what they're going to do. It's like time's ticking, five, four, three, two, one. Put this guy's name on the card. Send it in. Uh, who, whoever. I like the name. Whatever. Send it in there. We have seven of those already? Okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll see what he looks like in camp. <laughs> so you never know what they're going to do which is why I think the, the Detroit Lions are always a linchpin. I think they're going to go defensive end. I think, I think they go Trayvon Walker uh, just based on his athleticism. I know his production wasn't great, but he has that you know NFL potential. And you play on a great defense like Georgia last, was last year where there's playmakers all over the field – your numbers are gonna your numbers are gonna fall a little bit. If he had played, you know, at Tennessee or something like that, where he was the guy on defense, I'm sure that he would have had much more production than having seven other first round draft picks, you know, littered around him uh, on the defense. So I think they go Trayvon Walker there. Uh, I think I think Kuyper and McShay both feel the same way uh, that Trayvon Walker is going to be the pick for the for the Detroit Lions, which doesn't change anything. Most people I think are expecting that. And I don't think that affects much about what everybody else does down below. But I think that Brian Gutekunst, the, the GM who likes to make draft day deals, he's, look, he's a young GM. He's a guy who believes in the analytics of this and that. And he's going to read his, you know, his value chart for moving up into the NFL draft. And he's done it before, and he'll do it again. And I think he might do it this year because they just gave Aaron, Aaron Rodgers a ton of money. They need to get inexpensive talent around him. And the best way to do that is in the first round of the NFL draft. And you can't do it at 22 because if you, if you, wait, if you wait for that top-tier wide receiver at 22, they already gone, okay? Olave is going to be gone. We know that Drake London is going to be gone. We know that, uh, that Garrett Wilson's going to be gone. So the top four receivers all off the board by the time you even get a sniff at the 22nd overall pick. So now you're looking at the kid from North Dakota State. Look, he's a, he's a good player, okay? I'm not, I'm not taking anything away. Uh, Christian Watson is his name. Really good player. He's, I mean, he ran all over, ran roughshod all over that, uh, that division of football for the last three years with his speed, with his hands, with his uh, route running ability and stuff. But again, it was against FCS opponents. So, we don't, we don't quite know what we're going to get, right? I, I just I feel like they're probably not sold on just sitting there and and you know making AA Ron happy with Christian Watson from North Dakota State. So I think the Green Bay Packers are the team that's going to be the most likely to be on that move and make a big move on draft day and change everything that happens on Thursday. That's that's my that's my crystal ball prediction there for next Thursday, and, and that will begin the deluge of wide receivers. Look, there have been 34 receivers taken overall, okay, in each of the last two drafts, which two years ago when 34 receivers were taken in that draft, it broke the all-time record for receivers taken in a single draft. Last year that record was matched, 34. I think they could break the record this year. Receivers, everyone wants a a 
stable of receivers to throw the football to because not everybody buys into the I'm going to pay my wide receiver top dollar the same way that teams were starting to change their philosophy on running backs several years ago when that whole thing started about a decade ago, right, where teams said we're going to go running back by committee. We're not going to spend $40 million on, on running backs. We're going to go running back by committee because you know, their, their shelf life is, is short. Uh, you know, they get beat up too easily, and it's a position that only gets you four yards. It, it was only expected to get you four yards on a play. If, if a running back gets you four yards every play, you're very happy with your running back. Okay, in the grand scheme of things, it's one twenty-fifth of the football field. You need to make a bigger impact on you know on on the on the field than four yards per play. That's just the way the NFL game is played. It's the way the game of football is played anymore. You need guys who can make twenty-four yard plays on a consistent basis, and running backs don't do that anymore. That's just not the way. That's that's you can't do that trying to run through eleven guys. You have to get past six guys. <laughs> You know, you know, leave yourself out there where there's only five potential tacklers instead of eleven. It's just, it's just numbers, folks. It's just, it's really, it's just a game of numbers, and that's why wide receivers have become so popular. But also, look, they're frail as well. I mean, you know, the 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 way that wide receivers are built these days are not big. You know, they're they're not uh, you know the the big rough and tough guys that you know we've seen you know over the years like guys like Andre Reeds and the Art Monks and stuff like that. You know, tough guys. Uh, they're you know they're not built like that anymore. They're they're wiry guys, and some of them are you know six five, two hundred pounds. Like they're, you know they're just they're they're thin, and they take a beating. And they're highly conditioned athletes who are trying to just build speed upon speed upon speed, and it puts muscles and joints under duress. And you have blowouts like you saw with DeAndre Hopkins and plenty of other guys who have had leg injuries and muscle strains and things like that that have kept them out for multiple weeks in a season. So you need to have a complete stable of wide receivers. Uh, and, and that's what teams are going with. Because, you know, you, you draft a guy number six overall in the NFL draft, it's going to cost you a few million a year for the next, for the next four to five years until it's time for him to be disgruntled and uh, demand a, a higher payout and stuff. And by then you just move on to the next guy. I mean, that's, that's the way it's going to be. And, and, you know, we've seen that with running backs, and we're going to start seeing it with wide receivers. So, you know, they got the quarterback for the next four or five years if, if A-Ron sticks around that long, making his $50 million. They need to make an impact on draft day and get him a number one target. Garrett Wilson is that guy. I think he's far and away the best receiver in this draft. And they would be playing second fiddle with whomever they choose if they decide not to draft up, trade up in the draft. So I think, I think the Packers are really where it's at. And I think it would behoove them to do something to work that trade to get up above the Atlanta Falcons so that they can get the best receiver in the draft because what, what like honestly what are the Falcons going to do with the best best receiver in the draft <laughs> like what are they going to do with him nothing <laughs> all right we're going to take a time out when we return we're going to continue some with some more NFL we have some college football to discuss as well and we may even get into the boxing match that's going to be happening tomorrow it's uh, tomorrow afternoon I'm kind of looking forward to that Tyson Fury and Dillian White we'll talk about that we still got a whole lot more to do here on the Jeff Dean show on ESPN Tucson the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back. 
to the Jeff Dean Show here. Still plenty of stuff to talk about. And uh, only uh, about uh, 28 minutes left to talk about it. An AFC, uh, uh, an executive in the AFC. <laughs> I always love these, like, anonymous quotes that come out during, uh, right, like, right before the draft about players and stuff like that. This guy basically slammed Kenny Pickett. I can't. I can't necessarily disagree with him because, you know, I, I haven't broken down all the film on Kenny Pickett. I don't have time for that. I watched Kenny Pickett play, and I think Kenny Pickett had a nice season at Pitt, surrounded by a really good slew of players. I mean, let's – I mean, honestly, I mean, I'll just take a little aside here, but I think Pitt has a real good chance of winning the ACC again this year, even without Kenny Pickett. They are loaded with talent. I digress. This AFC executive said – if you need somebody to play right now, Kenny Pickett is the guy, but he has no upside. <laughs> Shots fired from an anonymous AFC executive. So who knows where it's even coming from? And again, look, I've talked about it on the show before. These are things that we know about in the NFL. There's all kinds of smoke screens going on all over the place. This is this is the the biggest mirage in all of sports is the week or the two weeks, three weeks, whatever, leading up to the NFL draft. There is more obfuscation going on by coaches and front office personnel than at any point in time throughout the rest of the year is the the time leading up to the NFL draft. They bring in people, like I said, they bring in players just to create smoke screens or just to create potential interest from other teams. And even though, this is the funny part, like, and, and executives still, they, we, we, like, they laugh about it. I've had plenty of conversations. I was real good friends with a guy who worked in, in two uh, NFC West front offices for about 11 years. Um, he's a, it's funny because we all laugh about it. We all know everybody's doing it, but we all do the exact same thing. As soon as a team brings in a guy that we're interested in, all of a sudden we get nervous. Even though we know it's a smokescreen, we still get nervous about it. So that's why it continues to, to be done. That's why this, this business continues to be conducted the way that it is. Because even though everyone is doing it and everyone's engaged and everyone knows the, the game plan, when it happens to you, that pucker factor goes up to about a 10 or 11. <laughs> and that's why they do this kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, when GMs and, you know, anonymous AFC executives come out and you know, bang on players and talk about, uh, you know, talk smack about players or really uplift another player who may not be considered to be a top 15 or a top 20 pick or a top three at his position or something like that. There's a good chance that they're just blowing smoke. Like they're just creating some kind of a smoke screen, trying to get your attention over here so that you're not looking over here. And that's what it's all about for the NFL draft. It is it is a war. They call it the war room for a reason because it is a war for three days now that it started, started opening on, on Thursdays in the, uh, in the NFL draft. Uh, it is a war. That's why they call it the war room. So always look forward to it. It's, it's, again, it's, it's, it's amazing that a non-sports, like a non-sporting event, okay, there's, there's no score being kept. Uh, you know, there's, nobody's on a field or a pitch or a rink or a court or anything like that, and yet, it still outdraws television viewers. It outdraws on TV more than NHL, Stanley Cup Finals games. It outdraws, you know, big 
motorsports events, like Indy 500 and stuff like that, like there's more eyeballs on this watching a bunch of guys get drafted, have their name called every, you know, 15 minutes and watch, uh, you know, some guy in a suit walk up there, mispronounce someone's name, show a, a closed caption uh, video of them sitting at their home with their family celebrating and then hearing a bunch of talking heads analyze what he did in college and how he's going to portray himself in the NFL until the next guy gets his name read and you rinse and repeat. <laughs> it gets hundreds of millions of viewers. Like, it's just insane. It's, it's uh, I mean, again, I, I, I can't sit there and, and talk smack about it because I'm one of those people. I've been that way since I was a kid. I've just ingrained myself in the NFL draft ever since I was, I mean, little, little, like, like eight years old, little, watching the NFL draft. I've just always been enamored by it, something that I've always been interested in. So, uh, yes, it is my uh, Christmas, and it's coming up soon, and I can't wait until it's here and be able to enjoy that. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, we will uh, continue to talk some some NFL, some college football to discuss, as well as a, a topic that I brought up yesterday, an article that I brought up yesterday that I want to discuss a little bit, and we'll see if we can get some uh, some boxing in as well, talk about the Tyson Fury fight coming up tomorrow as well. Still a whole lot more to do here, right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. All right, just some quick here, little news stuff that I didn't get to yesterday. Uh, There was some NCAA college football uh, rules changes that were approved. Um, on Wednesday, in an effort to clarify things regarding injuries, the NCAA Playing Rules Oversight Panel approved three different measures Wednesday that will be taking effect this upcoming season. These issues are targeting players faking injuries as well as blocking below the waist. Those were the three things basically at the center of the rules changes. Now, previously, as you know, in college football, anyone who's ejected for targeting in the second half of a game would have to then sit out the first half of their team's next game. Now, the rule change here is that if this were to happen now in the 2022 season, the conference, let's say the Pac-12, can now appeal the decision to the NCAA National Coordinator of Officials if a player is ejected in the second half. If that if that video suggests that the player should not have been removed because of a targeting or a non-targeting uh, foul, then that player will then be immediately eligible to play in the first half of the next game for that team. So that's look that's a big thing because there were plenty of times over the last several years where a player was sitting out of the first half of a game where everyone basically agreed that that was a ridiculous call. So thankfully there will be a national. Uh, review board that is going to look at these things and say no that, that's let's that player is now going to be eligible for the first half that should not have been a targeting foul we can't do anything about you know what's done is done second half was already played he missed it you know sorry uh but we're not going to make him miss any more any more time because of a foul that should not have been called uh also schools and conferences now will also be able to report scenarios where an opposing team may have been awarded a timeout for injury Okay, in, in where they essentially are suspicious of the injury itself. 
the conference or the school involved in the complaint would be able to issue discipline if the national coordinator of officiating deems it necessary. As always, an injured player is still required to sit out at least one play. But this is to stop teams from faking injuries like we've seen so rampantly over the years to slow another team's offense down. And finally, the committee decided to simplify the rules surrounding uh, blocking below the waist. Um, so linemen and uh, stationary backs who are blocking, you know, fullbacks, running backs, or, uh, you know, in for Max Pro essentially, who are blocking below the waist inside the tackle box. That's allowed. If it. If it's a play from the line of scrimmage, you can tag, you can block below the waist inside the tackle box. Outside the tackle box, you may not block below the waist. Linemen and stationary blockers. So a, a running back cannot flare out and take out a blitzing corner who has yet to reach the line of scrimmage, essentially. Okay, so you can't can't do that. That's now illegal. You can't dive at his ankles and try to block him that way. You have to wait until they reach within the tackle box, and then you can blow up their knees, which is apparently okay now all right now there was an article by andy staples in the athletic yesterday and i thought it was interesting and he he was addressing a a mailbag question and the mailbag question was basically like do you know which programs have the highest or lowest cost per win over the last 10 years or so the last decade shouldn't we be lauding or and or chastising teams for their effectiveness or their lack thereof basically saying like which teams have paid the most just to lose football games the answer obviously i mean if, if if you were to ask me and i had and i were given you know 30 seconds to think about it my first answer would be kansas and i would be right <laughs> because kansas who has continued to go out there and just money whip coaches to come in there and try to rescue their program has fallen flat on their face according to this report kansas has play, has paid nine million dollars per win over the last decade. Between uh, well, they they took out the COVID year, so they went with 2010 to 2019. Okay, so they took out the COVID year, and last year was not a part of the uh, part of the study. But for the for the decade of the 2010s, essentially, Kansas was paying nine million dollars per win, which is three million dollars more than the next closest school, which was Arkansas, who also money whipped two different guys, Brett Bielema being one of them, who realized that. He couldn't recruit in the SEC, so he quit. Um, who spent $6 million per win. Everybody else then it kind of evens out. Now, this just goes to show you, and we at, here at Arizona, we fully understand this, right? Now, even though we didn't throw a ton of money at Kevin Sumlin, we gave him quite a bit, right? I mean, he wasn't the lowest paid head coach in the conference during his time here. It just goes to show you, and it, and it goes back to what I said when the Wildcats announced that they were hiring Jed Fish as their head coach, and Arizona fans were up in arms, they're like, "Who is this guy?" And he's he only stays one or two years at every job, and blah blah blah. And he's you know he's a tennis player; he didn't even play football. And blah. and my reaction to this was, "Does he want to be here?" I mean, when when you think about it, this is a guy who for 440 consecutive days left a post-it note on Steve Spurrier's car begging him to give him a job that he would not be paid for to come and learn how to be a football coach at the at the University of Florida. Please, I want to learn from the best. I'm a huge football fan, specifically of you and of Florida football. I want to be a part of something special. Okay, It has been his dream to be a college football coach. 
and he spent time both at the collegiate level and the NFL level learning from people who were smarter than him, much more experienced than him, learning how to not only run an offense or pick a quarterback or manage players, but also how to manage a staff. I mean, he learned this from a myriad of of stops that he made along the way, learning from some of the great coaches in this sport. And Arizona gave him his dream shot, okay? Arizona's not paying him a ton of money. I, I think he's the lowest paid or maybe the second lowest paid head coach in the conference. But again, my thing, my argument was the entire time with Arizona fans was, does he want to be here? Because we just went through two, two regimes that didn't want to be here. I think Rich Rod genuinely wanted to be here because, not because he wanted to make Arizona football great, but he needed to, he needed to prove to himself and to his detractors that he was a great football coach. And I do think Rich Rodriguez is a great football coach. He is a remarkably uh, you know, smart and innovative guy. And I do think he's a good motivator. He certainly has his drawbacks, as does everyone else. And I think genuinely he did want to be here for the first couple of years and then just realized, like, it's not, this, this ain't it. <laughs> like, this ain't going to work for me. And he started to pull away from the program. Kevin Sumlin never wanted to be here. He just wanted to cash paychecks and continue to be a football coach. But it didn't seem at any point in time like he was really passionate about being the head coach at Arizona. It just goes to show you, it is more important at the collegiate level to get someone who genuinely wants to be there, who has a passion for the program and the grind that it takes to be a college football coach, than it does to throw a bunch of money at a guy who won football games at other schools. Because if you look at this list of, of schools who have spent the most money to win football games, it's your typical, I mean, these are losing programs who have done nothing but try to resurrect the program by hiring big-name coaches who didn't want to be there. Kansas, uh, I mean, look, <laughs> less, they, they threw a ton of money at Les Miles. That didn't work. I mean, just flushed it right down the toilet. They threw, they threw money they threw money at so many people. You look at places like Vanderbilt, Purdue, Ole Miss, Colorado, Miami, uh, UCLA throwing a bunch of money at guys who haven't won football games. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And then you know you've got Arizona kind of in the middle according to this statistic. Arizona spent three point seven six million per win, which is situated ironically uh, right between Oregon State and Washington on the list. And these are just the Power 5 schools. Okay, If you look at the schools who spent the least amount of money per win, okay, number one on the list is Kansas State. They, they named the stadium after the coach. I mean, he's, he's, he's he always wanted to be there. He, he, just, he didn't know anything better to do. He loved his job there. Okay, Oklahoma State is number two on the list. Mike Gundy, who has had an opportunity to go anywhere else he wanted to. He is a remarkably successful coach in college football. Innovative. Players love playing for him. He runs a good staff. He doesn't have assistants that try to jump ship at the end of every year because they can't stand working for the guy. He's he's a great program leader. 
And yes, he has told Oklahoma State, look, I need a contract. I need, you know, I need a raise. I need a raise. And they've given him the raise, and he stayed because he likes being there. He genuinely wants to be a difference maker at Oklahoma State. And because of that, they're number two on the list for the least amount of money spent per win. Stanford is number three on the list. David Shaw loves being at Stanford. Like I said, it's so much more important at this level to get someone who's passionate about being there, who wants to carry the flag for the program, than it is for somebody who just wants to cash a paycheck and live off the laurels of the wins that they've earned at other schools. It's just, it, 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 it makes sense. And the article is a brilliant article. If you have a subscription to The Athletic, I, I implore you to read this article from Andy Staples. It, it makes perfect sense to me, and it makes sense why Jed Fish is succeeding so quickly at Arizona. Because of the passion, people pick up on that. And it's important. Vastly important. All right. We are going to take a time out. When I return, I'll put a big, bright red, shiny bow on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. That's next right here on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. You can join Spears and Ali, those lucky ducks, for their NFL draft show on Thursday, April 28th from 3 to 6. They'll be broadcasting live from the Fire Truck Brewing Company. Love those guys over at Fire Truck. They did a collaboration with Borderlands uh, Brewing and made Voltron Brewing, which just like like my inner child screamed. Like I was like, oh, my God, Voltron Brewing. It's amazing. Yeah, grew up on Voltron. I love it. I digress. Fire Truck Brewing Company is awesome. If you've never been there, go check them out. Southeast corner of Grant and Swan. And uh, the boys will be there on Thursday from 3 to 6 doing their show live, enjoying the delicious libations offered by Fire Truck Brewing Company and the delicious wings that they smoke in-house. <sighs> See, I don't – like, I used to do afternoons for a long time. I did afternoon drive for a long time up here in Phoenix and – Man, do I miss it, because in the mornings, you know, I don't get to go out and do remotes and drink beer and eat wings like the guys do. So I'll just live vicariously through them. Yay. Anyway, you guys can take advantage of that. That doesn't have any, any you know, bearing on what you do. So go see the boys next Thursday. Enjoy the NFL draft right there at Fire Truck Brewing Company with Spears and Ali from 3 to 6. Watch them do their show and enjoy all the happy hour food and drink specials that Fire Truck Brewing has to offer. It's sponsored by O'Reilly Chevrolet. Miss D-U-I-A-Z, The Blind Guys, and Ryan Brown at Long Realty. And if you need any more information on that than what I've just given you, please feel free to go to ESPNTucson.com and uh, check out all the deets. A complete weekend full of NBA playoff action, which we will be recapping on Monday. I will be unveiling my uh, NFL Draft Big Board on Monday as well. It's it's several weeks late, but it's, you know, look, I've been – busy and I've been sick and I just haven't had a chance to put it all together unfortunately but I will be unveiling that and I won't be going line by line with you guys I do 51 every year um, this is the second time that I'll be doing it here for ESPN Tucson and I, I do a, a 51 I do my top 50 players and then I do one sleeper I put him at 51 who I think you know a guy that's outside of most people's top 100 that I think will be an impact player in the NFL I just try to use my my overwhelming knowledge, and I, I, you know, I don't want to sit here and like pat myself on the back or anything, but I watch a lot of college football, probably too much, and uh, and I 
guys stand out to me. I make note of them, and when they come up uh, for the NFL draft, I try to keep an eye on them and see you know where they're tracking, where they're trending. So I'll have the big board for you as well. And 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 I think I can make this official now. I, I, can, can I make this official now, Mary? Is it, is it okay if I say what we're giving away next week? She says yes. I got Chris Rock tickets, folks, to give away next week. Chris Rock tickets. I know you can't wait. Look, that is going to be – he resurrected his career by getting slapped in the face from somebody, which is awesome to me. And he's going to be performing at Casino del Sol at the Alve Amphitheater, and I am going to have tickets all next week to give away. So stay tuned for that. I can't wait. I want to go. I like Chris Rock. I want to go see his stand-up. You're going to get a chance to. All right. That is going to wrap things up for today's edition, this week's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Thanks to Mary back in studio for all her hard work and pushing all the buttons and keeping us on the air here. And, of course, thanks to you guys for tuning in here to the Jeff Dean Show. Stay tuned for Spears and Ali today from 3 to 6 p.m. We've got a weekend full of Suns basketball and Diamondbacks baseball here on ESPN Tucson. And I will see you guys on Monday on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN, Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back Monday morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson.